a pop quiz this morning. You weren't anticipating that. Sorry, all my school teachers in here were like, hey, 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 wait a second. We give pop quizzes, not we don't take pop quizzes. This morning we're going to take a pop quiz. And as you are preparing your instrument, look, I want everybody participating, okay? You don't, you don't get to pass unless you, you participate. And while you are preparing your paper and pen, in 1980, the Supreme Court ruled that a Kentucky law that required the posting of the Ten Commandments on the wall of every public school classroom in the state violated the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment because the purpose of the display was essentially religious. And so that was one of the key landmark decisions of the Ten Commandments being removed from our, our school classrooms. And Christians, of course, were then and are now outraged because of what they experienced then and there, and we continue to be outraged, and rightfully so, right? I know many of you in here would raise your fist with mine and saying, we need the Ten Commandments in our classrooms. And so what I want you to do right now is write down the Ten Commandments on your pieces of paper. Write them down. Go. The Ten Commandments. You don't have to give them exactly word perfect. Then I'm going to call on one of you to stand. And No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's already tense enough in here without me having you do that. Some of you are feverishly writing. I'm actually not looking. I'm trying not to make like any direct eye visual contact with any of you to see who's doing what. I don't, I don't intend for this to be embarrassing. I do intend for it to be confrontational. Because here's what I want us to realize this morning, right? Those of you who know them and are going to write them down, you've already written them down. For the rest of you, you're like, you've written them and you're like, okay, which ones have I left out? I've got like three here, and I know there are more than that. Brothers and sisters, for many of us in the Western world, for many of us who are part of cultural Christianity, the Ten Commandments are both way too familiar and almost completely unknown. They are both. Yes, the Ten Commandments, they need to be posted everywhere. What are they? Uh, yeah, you kind of called my bluff on that one. Like, I'm... I'm sure I could get a few of them. If you gave me long enough, I would come up with them all. I think the Ten Commandments have become, for Christians, overly familiar as a general concept and significantly ignored in our actual living. And over the next several weeks, we're going to be giving attention to these ten words from God. These ten words from God to the nation of Israel. And we're going to seek to discern what, if any, relevance they have for us today. And we will probably take 10 weeks to talk through, not, not including this week. Actually, this week is just the introduction to the Ten Commandments, which we will begin with commandment number one, thou shalt have no other gods before me. We'll begin with that one next week. And as we begin this morning, you can take out your Bibles and open them to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20 is where we find the giving of the ten words to God's people. And while we remember from the Charlton Heston movie that 
Moses goes up into the, we, that's how we know our Old Testament um, history, um, that Moses goes up into the mount and God gives him these stone tablets. You may not remember that even before that happens, God himself actually speaks these ten words audibly to the nation of Israel. You want to talk about a moment that would have been worth being there for? Exodus chapter 20 is one of those times that no Charlton Heston movie can do justice to. And again, remember the context of where we are here in Exodus chapter 20. The, this is the story of, uh, of Exodus. The story of Exodus is how God delivered his people and dwelt with them in the wilderness as they were on their way to dwell with him in the promised land, delivered to dwell to dwell. They were delivered from Egypt as God dwelled with them in the, in the wilderness on their way to dwell in the promised land. And this is your and my story as well. For those who know Christ as their Savior, you've been delivered from the slavery of this world, Egypt, and you currently are wandering in the wilderness as the Spirit of God dwells within us as we are on our way to uh, the promised land, the new heavens and new earth, to dwell with Him forever. And here in Exodus chapter 20, God is going to give the people that He has just delivered for His own glory, He's going to give them some instructions as to how they are to live as his people. His people are traveling through the wilderness on their way to the promised land. And catch this, God has a way for them to live as they are in their wilderness wanderings. And as they are beginning their wilderness wanderings, three months now into the wilderness, God brings them to the mountain of God. Right? Like, I wish I could say that with like a James Earl Jones-esque voice, the mountain of God. God brings them to the mountain of God, and he shows up. We saw this last week in chapter 19. God shows up in a way that no Hollywood producer could replicate. He shows up in awesome wonder and power, in fire on the mountain, and smoke on the mountain, and lightning, and an earthquake. And now, in Exodus chapter 20, there is a voice that is going to speak from the mountain to the people of God. Don't come near the mountain. Don't touch the mountain. I'm going to speak to you from the mountain. And here's the main thing that I want us to see this morning as we uh, look at Exodus. We're really just looking at the first two verses of Exodus chapter 20. The main point is this. Um, God's instructions come to people in love for their good. They, they come from a, a God whose heart is, in, is love toward them. So God's instructions come to his people in love for their own good. God, please use, please use your word and your spirit this morning. I often feel this way, but more than usual, Father, I feel incapable of communicating the significance of, of what needs to be communicated through these verses. So God, I pray that the message would go forth powerfully and that me, the messenger, would be ignored and quickly forgotten. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 and 2 say this, And God spoke. God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, 
out of the house of slavery. Now, if we just started in verse 3, we would miss some incredibly significant truths. I am not slowing things down unnecessarily because I can't figure out what to preach when I'm done with the book of Exodus, right? I mean, we, we, we are taking our time for the book of Exodus, but I mean, what, what, what better do we have to do? Ex- I was thinking about this. I, pastors in, and I, I talk with the other pastors in this town, right? And we all hear the same sorts of things. What takes you so long to say what you need to say on Sunday mornings? And you just, I mean, like we spend all week studying these things and then like we want to take all week telling you these things. And so just be glad that my sermons aren't a week long. First of all, let's look and see what God does when God reminds the people of who he is. The first thing that God does when he comes to them on the mountain with the fire and the smoke and the lightning and the trembling, the earth is literally trembling beneath their feet, and the first thing he does is he reminds them of who he is. He says in verse 2, I am the Yahweh. I am the Lord your God. Brothers and sisters, this is all about God. It's not primarily about the Israelites. It's not primarily about the law being given. This is primarily, the scene that's unfolding here, is primarily about God and who He is. And He is the one true God. Now, this was scandalous for the people of Israel. During this time, all the other nations had a polytheism. They, they, they worshipped many, many gods. The sun god and the moon god and the rain god and the desert god and the, all the different animal gods. There were many, many different gods that they worshipped. And when the one true God, Yahweh, shows up to the people of Israel, he says, Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And this is scandalous compared to every other nation's religion at the time. Brothers and sisters, even for Christians today, this truth is scandalous in modern times. Imagine a single, totally authoritative deity who tells me that my way will lead to hell. But if I repent of my way and trust in his exclusive way as the only way, then I will be able to live eternal life beginning now and then into eternity forever? No, even to the Western modern American mind, that is not something that's easily um, swallowed. That, that doesn't float well in our modern culture either. It's just as scandalous today as it would have been in the day of Moses. And God comes to the people of Israel and he reminds them of, whom, of who he is. I am the Lord your God. I'm the Lord your God and I'm the one who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Remember the 400 years that you've been suffering and you've been praying and you've been crying out to me or crying out to the deity as you best knew deities to deliver us from Egypt. I'm the God who came to you and delivered you from Egypt. And in their ver- just close in their rearview mirror are... Um, uh, are situations like being delivered through the Red Sea and the firstborn dying and all the plagues that Matt read about this morning. I'm the God who delivered you from Egypt. I'm the God who saved you. And I am a God who is in relationship with you. Look in the be- that first phrase in verse 2. I am the Lord your God. That word your, we would just 
I mean, if we were reading this for our devotions, we would just kind of skip over it. It's not something that we would really take a moment to consider. But consider that the, the one true God of the universe is coming to a group of people and he's saying to them, I'm your God. I'm in special relationship with you. He's a special God in relationship with his people. And these 10 words that he's getting ready to give to the people will provide an even greater revelation to his people about what kind of God he is. God was not in heaven thinking, hmm, what are 10 random arbitrary things that I can kind of make up and impose upon the people of Israel so to kind of keep them under my control? Often that's how we think of these, what we call Ten Commandments. Our conversation earlier this week has helped me so much as I studied through the rest of this passage uh, to prepare for today. So thank you. Um, Sorry, Jerry and I had breakfast uh, earlier this week, and we were super excited talking about some of the things that we're looking at together here in in the book of Exodus. These weren't just things that some um, deity came up with to try to figure out a way to keep his control, to keep his thumb on a group of people. We call them the Ten Commandments, but they're literally the Ten Words. And I don't think to call them commandments or call them laws miscommunicates, but I do think, I agree with you here, brother. I don't always agree with you, but I agree with you here. I actually think one of the best ways for us to think about what God is doing for the people of Israel is He's giving them Ten Instructions. I think that's a great word. I'm getting ahead of myself. God, first of all, reminds his people of who he is. That's point number one. God reminds the people of who he is. Point number two, God reminds the people of who they are. They are his people whom he brought out of the land of Egypt and he brought them out of slavery. God spoke these words to people that had been brought out of Egypt and out of the house of slavery and out of the house of bondage and into the house of the king. They are saved by God. These ten instructions were not given so that they would somehow earn their salvation. Do you remember? I mean, let's just pay careful attention to when in the book of Exodus God is bringing these ten words to the nation of Israel. Is it before they've been rescued from Egypt? It's not before they've been rescued from Egypt. God has already done the work of saving his people, drawing them into the promised land. He is dwelling in relationship with them. And now that they are his people, now that they are his people, he is giving them these blessings of how to live. One pastor says it this way, some people view Christianity as this. God has rules, and if I follow the rules, he will love me and save me. That's not what happened in the story of the Exodus. The Israelites were an oppressed people, and God said, I hear your cry, I will save you because I love you, and when you are saved and free and forgiven, I'm going to give you a new way to live. So catch this, and I think I I have this on the screen. Salvation isn't the reward for obedience. Salvation is the reason for obedience. So maybe I didn't get that in the pro presenter, so don't worry about that. Salvation, but catch this. Salvation isn't the reward for obedience. Salvation is the reason for obedience. It's the reason we obey. Jesus doesn't say, if you obey my commandments... I will love you. Instead, he washes the feet of the disciples and then says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. 
If you love me, you will keep my commandments. All of our doing is only because of what he has first done for us. God reminds his people. He's he's giving them these laws. He's giving them these instructions because of who he is and because of who they are. They're a holy nation. They're a unique people. These instructions, these ten words are setting Israel apart from every other nation. They are going to live differently. God is giving them, both here in the Ten Commandments and then, of course, beyond that, He is giving them moral, ceremonial, and civil laws to keep and to obey that is going to set them apart from every other nation around them. Brothers and sisters, we as followers of Christ, we have been called to be God's special chosen people, and God does give us a way to live that is different than the world around us. And what we so often want to do is we want to take, we want to make it like these external things, right? Like, I don't listen to this kind of music with these kinds of instruments because that's godless, and I have to listen to this kind of music with these kinds of instruments, or I can't wear these kinds of clothes, and I do have to wear these kinds of, or whatever. We want to always make them external. We take lists that aren't part of the Scriptures, and we, we come up with law that we think would please God, and we make applications that aren't biblically founded and, and grounded. What God is doing is he's, he's giving his people a way that changes them from the inside out. God, brothers and sisters, just like the people of Israel, God expects to make us a peculiar people. We want to be just as cool and just like everyone else in the world, but with Jesus and the life insurance of Jesus thrown on top of our lives. But Jesus said, come and follow me. Come walk the way I walked. I'm going to give you some instructions. I'm going to give you a blessed way to follow me. And often we think, no, I want your escape from hell plan, but that, that followership stuff, no. You can be my Savior, but not my Lord. And I'm just telling you, you don't get one without the other. As Christians, we are a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So these Ten Commandments, as we call them, come to the people who are in relationship with God. And that, maybe if there's one thing that I think is most important for us to understand as we go into the Ten Commandments, as we begin them next week, is verses 1 and 2 here are making it clear that these commands, these words, these instructions are coming to people with whom God has a relationship. You'll notice that the Ten Commandments weren't just announced to all the nations of the earth. Now, I'm not saying that they wouldn't be incredibly helpful and applicable for all the nations of the earth to obey. But they are coming specifically to one nation that's been called out by God. They're coming to people with whom God has already established a covenant relationship. I have saved you, so now live this way with me. When we think of, well, I'm getting ahead of myself, so I'll wait till I get there. It's in my notes. I'll get there. Thirdly, and I'm going to take the most time with point number three. You might be thinking, sweet, man. Point number one went by pretty quick. Point number two went by really quick. Point number three, we're almost done. Hang on. Point number three is the longest point. In love, God gives his people a way to live that is for their blessing. God loves his people, and God gives his people a way to live that's actually for their good and for his glory. In verse 1, we see that these are the words of God. Don't miss the significance of of this. God is giving his people 
a word. God, God isn't referencing someone else. God doesn't call the nation of Israel together and say, I was reading this great book and I have some ideas of how we can do this nation thing. I've got some suggestions for you based on I went to a seminar, there was a bunch of other gods there the other day, and I've got some really great takeaway points, and here's how we're going to do the nation of Israel thing. Brothers and sisters, God speaks to the nation of Israel out of himself. He, he is giving them instructions based on the nature and character of himself. He isn't basing this off of some other code of conduct. These ten words are expressions of himself for the good of his people. Parents in the room, do you ever give your kids instructions and think to yourself, if they would just do this, like it would spare them so much heartache. Like I'm just telling you, right? Like, I mean, you're whatever age, 15, 16, and you, you think you know better, but I'm just telling you, if you will do this, it will be so much better for you. And can you imagine, I mean, as God is saying, I've got these instructions for you. I've got these ways that I want you to live as my followers, as my people. And, and I'm just telling you, if you live this way, it's going to be so good for you. So the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments. I'm going to read verses uh, 2, well, to the end of the Ten Commandments, down through verse like 17. Verse 3, rather. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation to those who hate me, but showing hesed, steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Number three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And by the way, we're going to spend some time talking about this. That's not primarily talking about when you say, oh my God, or Jesus Christ. That, that's, that's not primarily what that's talking about. That might be a third. You shouldn't do that, by the way, but that's, that is not what this is talking about. You're going to have to come to the sermon to find out what it talks about. Uh, where am I? Number eight, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his John Deere, nor his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. I think that's tucked away in the Hebrew there for a second. Okay, so kids that are in the room, really anybody... Well, this is for everybody. This is, I'm gonna, I was going to try to sell this as something for the kids, but this is really for everyone. Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Number two, 
some of you know the hand signals. How many of you know the hand signals? Raise your hand. I won't make you do it, but okay. You shall not make any graven image. That's someone on their knees bowing down to a graven image. That's number two. Number three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Number four, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Number five, honor your father and your mother. I think that's sign language. Am I right? Okay, good. I'm looking at other people and they're like, yeah, okay. Honor your father and mother. Number six, thou shalt not kill. Right, so that's someone stabbing someone, okay? Number seven, thou shalt not commit adultery. Husband and wife, other people, thou shalt not commit. We don't let other people come between husband and wife. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Uh, Thou shalt not steal, right? So this is just taking something that's not yours. Um, thou shalt not bear false witness, right? So I got my hand on the Bible and bearing false witness. Number 10, thou shalt not covet the things that you see, right? So there's, and you might be like, well, that's really childish and that's for kids. That's how I remember the 10 commandments, okay? Like I'm just telling you, that's how I remember the 10 commandments. Um, I'll do that a few more weeks. Um, If you'd like private lessons afterwards, just stick around. I'll be happy to go through those, go through those again. Um, there's some things I want us to note about, uh, about what God's doing here as he's giving his people a way to live that is for their blessing. And I've alluded to it already, but I want to I flesh this out a little bit more. As God is going to, here in chapter 20, he's going to give them these 10, what we call commandments. Moses never actually refers to them as 10 commandments. The, the, look in verse, uh, verse, verse 1 of chapter 20. And God spoke all these words. In the the Old Testament, here in Exodus, and in Deuteronomy twice, they're referred literally as ten words. That's that's what they're actually called, the ten words. Maybe you've heard the phrase, uh, you've heard the Ten Commandments referred to as the Decalogue. Deca means ten, logos means words, the ten words of God for God's people, the Decalogue. And the Hebrew expression is literally means the ten words um, from God. And these 10 words, these 10 instructions, they are they're for the good of God's people. This was not primarily God thinking, how can I put boundaries around them? It was more like, how can I give them ways to flourish? You understand the difference there? There's a big difference there. How can I fence them in and make life kind of hard for them so that they're always breaking my laws? Or how, what, what are some instructions that I can give them that will be for their flourishing and for their good and for their development? God, in the New Testament, it's clear that God desires blessing and abundance and freedom for us. John 10.10, 10, Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. John 8.32 says, the truth will set you free. 1 John 5.3, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. When, when we think wrongly about the Ten Commandments or really any kind of law or structure in our lives, discipline in our lives, we tend to think of it as, as burdensome. But Jesus is saying, no, my commands, my laws, my instructions, my way of life for you is not a burdensome thing. It's a good thing that actually brings about human flourishing and blessing. It's the way we live. Kevin, Pastor and author Kevin DeYoung says this, the Ten Commandments aren't instructions on how to get out of Egypt. They are rules for a free people to stay free. I love that. The Ten Commandments aren't commandments on how to get out of Egypt. They're rules, instructions I would say, 
their recommendations, their rules, their laws, commands, whatever synonym you want to use, for a free people to stay free. Good, even, even in, our, in our current civic order, good rules, good laws help human flourishing, right? Most, most of us drove here this morning. I didn't. I didn't drive, but I think probably everyone else drove here this morning. Now, imagine what it would have been like were there absolutely no traffic rules and regulations whatsoever. None. No speed limits. No, to go this way, you need to be in the right lane, and to come this way, you have to be in the left lane. Like, absolutely none. It was just a total free-for-all every time. I mean, imagine the chaos. We probably would choose not to travel that way. Imagine going to a sporting event that had no rules. Now, some of us may watch sports like rugby or cricket or games like that, and we think, I don't understand at all what's going on there, but they have a very codified system of rules that makes sense for that game. Many of us go to games that we do know, we do enjoy. We like to watch football. We like to watch basketball. We like to watch volleyball. And there are a bunch of different rules. And every now and then something happens and like you're whispering to the person, like, what was, what was the ruling there? I didn't understand that. But those rules, those, those instructions provide a way for the game to actually be played. Try, try building a city or any building with no building code, with no instructions for how to do a thing. This is one of the illustrations you and I talked about. All of us, from time to time, receive a box. Maybe, maybe we go to a store and we buy or we order something online, and a box comes, and on the outside of the box, it says those fateful words, some assembly required. And you're like, forget about it, right? Some assembly required, some assembly required basically means you have to go to trade school and learn how to make the piece of furniture yourself. That, that's basically what it means, right? And you can do like so many of us do and lay the instructions aside and then put together the thing that you're trying to assemble and then when it doesn't work, you realize that step three included a crucial part that you would only know if you did follow the instructions and the thing will function just right and just perfectly. Friends, we, we know that following instructions provide um, the, the good and the help that we need. God's instructions to his people were given to them because he loved them, he had freed them, and he wanted them to stay free. And we're going to walk through these instructions over the course of the next 10 weeks. One of the questions that we may have are, are we supposed to keep all of these commandments now, today? Like, what, what, what's our relationship to the Ten Commandments today? There's, and, and then, like, well... Okay, Jeremy, in chapter 20, we're going to end uh, the, the, what we call the Ten Commandments, but then we're going to have laws about altars and laws about slaves and laws about restitution. And if my ox kills your ox, then do I give you? Like, there's a lot of other laws in here. Which of these laws do we keep? And we're going to talk about this more throughout the coming weeks, but really the, the Old Testament laws, as I understand and as many theologians and scholars have unpacked the Old Testament, they would say that God's commands fall into generally three categories. His moral laws, which is what the Ten Commandments are. 
civil laws, which were how Israel operated as a nation, and then ceremonial laws, which were like the sacrificial system and that sort of thing. We're going we're gonna to talk more about civil and ceremonial when we come to them later in the book of Exodus. These moral laws, these eternal um, uh, words of God here in Exodus chapter 20, I, I do believe that we are to, uh, to abide by them and keep them for today. In fact, nine of the ten are directly and overtly re um, uh, uh, mentioned in the New Testament. And one of them, which isn't directly mentioned in the New Testament, I believe is um, both before the giving of the law in the created order all the way through to the new heavens and new earth is, uh, is the, the principle of that law, of that command, is throughout um, really all of, all of history. You're going to have to wait and see. Some of you may be guessing, well, which one is he talking about? Well, you have to wait and see. You may already know. I think it is important, though, for us to understand that there's really three ways in which we interact with these, with these ten words. These ten words are given, first of all, to restrain wickedness. It, it doesn't matter who were to follow these ten laws, whether you are a follower of Jesus Christ or not, whether you, whether you believe in God or not. I mean, these ten laws are good for anyone to keep, right? Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not kill shall not commit adultery, honor your father and mother. I mean, those are in general, like everyone would agree, these are good things and we should, we should keep them. So first of all, they restrained, this is the, the old reformers uh, describe this as the threefold use of the law. First, it is to restrain wickedness. Secondly, it is to show us our guilt and lead us to Christ. What happens when someone says, thou shalt to you? Almost immediately in your heart, you think, yeah, I shall not. Yeah, I'm not going to, no, I don't like that. I'm not going to do that, right? Uh, I can eat up all the trees everywhere in the whole entire universe, but there's one tree that I can't eat of. Yeah, that's the, that's the one I'm going to go try. I'm going to go try that one this afternoon. I, don't, I mean, the snake, he may help me, but I'm, I'm going I'm, to, I want to do that, okay? When, when we are told no, then we want to yes. God's word shows us, God's words show us our guilt, and they show us that we need someone to deliver us from our guilt. And then thirdly, the third use of the law and the principal use of the law is as an instrument to learn God's will as a way for human flourishing, as a way for a follower to follow. One pastor says, Can we keep the commandments fully or perfectly? No. They serve to show us our sin and lead us to the cross. Absolutely. But they also uh, show us the way to live, the way to love our neighbor and the way to love God. Do you remember when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment, what his answer was? He gives a two-part answer. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Did you know that these 10 words fall very neatly under those two categories? In fact, Jesus himself says, in fact, all of the law and the commandments are summed up in this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. So think of the first four commandments, right? Have no other gods before me. Not make any graven images. Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. What, are the, who, uh, what relationship are those commands uh, in, uh, in relationship with. Th- those, are, those are the loving God commands, right? Don't kill, don't steal, don't commit adultery. The rest of the commands are uh, 
love, love your neighbor as yourself kind of command. So even the Ten Commandments are summed up in love God and love others. These will help us to live the way God's people are called upon to live. We still need, again quoting uh, Kevin DeYoung, we still need the ten words handed down at Sinai. Have they been changed in some respects by the coming of Christ? For sure. They've been transformed but not trashed. We can no longer keep the Ten Commandments rightly unless we keep them in Christ, through Christ, and with a view to the all-surpassing greatness of Christ. As new creations in Christ, the law is not only our duty, but it's also our delight. If we want to love Christ as He deserves and as He desires, we will keep His commandments. There are rules and regulations for relationships. We all know this, right? If my wife is allergic to roses and kittens, you know what I don't bring her on Valentine's Day? A bouquet of kittens. Right? Uh, well, no. Right? Like I don't. Th- there, are, there are rules and regulations that help us in relationship with each other. And God, out of his character, gives the nation of Israel these ten instructions on how we now are going to live. It's kind of like this. Don't follow this illustration too far because it breaks down, but just take it for just the basic that I'm using it for. It's like my, me, me visiting with my family and saying, okay, look, as McMorrises, here's what we're going to do. As McMorrises, we're, gonna, we're going to, uh, when you come inside a building, boys, take your hat off. Uh, when, when, uh, when we uh, visit with other people, we're never going to lie. Um, when, we, uh, when we have opportunity, we're always going to do good to someone. We're going to give generously, right? When you make money in the McMorris house, the first thing you do is give to the Lord. The second thing you do is save. And the third thing you do is spend, right? Like, and and these, are, these are McMorris ways of family operating. And your family may work differently than ours does. Your family may take their shoes, your shoes off when you come inside the house, which makes total sense. I don't want to do it, but it absolutely makes sense, right? So your family has ways that your family operates, but as McMorris's, here's how we operate. And doing these things don't make you McMorris's. You're McMorris's. But there's a way that we're going to live together and operate together that are going to be for our good and for your flourishing. God gives these instructions to his people for their good and for their flourishing. And brothers and sisters, listen, we need these 10 words, these 10 instructions today because you and I are rascals. And that's putting it as nicely as I can put it in a sanctuary on a Sunday morning. We need these instructions. Listen, this is, I, I, I'm on purpose letting the word of God bear down on us for a moment. Because we will always be looking for ways around them. To all ten of them. God says, don't have any other gods before me. And friends, you cannot tell me that you do not struggle with idolatry constantly. We want to serve. We say, oh yeah, we'll have no other gods before God. But the idol, the God of money, the God of power, the God of family, the God of pleasure, the God of leisure, when we When we watch our lives, it is obvious who our God is, and it is not that God. Have no graven image means don't worship. Uh, It means worship the one true God in the way the one true God calls you to worship. 
you want to worship the one true God the way you want to worship, or you just want to worship your own God the way you want to worship. Thirdly, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And you think, I prayed a prayer when I was a kid, and once saved, always saved, and I can live however I want to now and still call myself a Christian. Remember the Sabbath day, unless I need to work, or life is too busy and I need to rest, or if there's something more fun that I can be doing instead. Honor your father and mother, unless they do something I don't like or have different political values than I do. Thou shalt not kill, but I can be as angry and furious and upset with someone as I want to be. Thou shalt not commit adultery, except in my heart and on my phone and in the books I read and the movies I watch. Thou shalt not steal, steal, except from God and the government and my boss who has plenty anyway. Thou shalt not bear false witness, except for gossiping and gossiping and gossiping and gossiping. Thou shalt not covet, but my frustration and anger that someone else has a nicer house than me, a bigger farm than me, a nicer truck than me, more guns than me. I just had to throw a personal one in there. That doesn't, that doesn't count. Do you, do you see that we, that you and I are constantly taking the crown off of the head of the king and putting it on our own head and saying, I'm going to come up with my own way of making life work and making life flourish. And one of the ways I do that is by adding a layer of Jesus to all the stuff that I already want to do anyway. And the king is saying, whoa, I've given you instruction. I've given you a blessed way to live. I want you to know how you will flourish. And we break those instructions. We break those 10 words over and over, and over, and over, and over again. And that second use of the law is clear. We break God's good blessings for us, and we need a Savior. So in conclusion, my conclusion is going to take three to five minutes. These instruction, these ten words, are not merely arbitrary rules to be followed, it's a declaration of the kind of person God has saved you to be. It's a, remember, it's a revelation of God, of himself to us. Friends, these ten words have been broken by every single one of us in here. In fact, all ten of them have been broken by all 90, 100 of us. There is one person who kept the ten words. There's one person who kept the ten words. There is one true and faithful Israelite. There is one true and faithful Christian. Jesus Christ came and he lived his life as the only perfect follower of the one true God. Jesus had no other gods before him. He never bowed down to a graven image. He took the Lord's name not in vain, but he took the Lord's name accurately. He always kept the Sabbath. He honored his father and mother. He neither killed nor was angry. He did not commit adultery physically, spiritually, emotionally. He didn't steal. He never took what wasn't his. He never bore false witness, but always spoke what was true. And he never coveted anything from anyone else. I, I don't stand chance to make it through the rest of the day without violating at least one, if not more, of these. 
And Jesus came, and for 33 years, every moment of 33 years, he perfectly kept the instructions of God. He's the one true Israelite. He's the one true and faithful Christian. He did all of these things, and he lived this wonderfully blessed, productive life as a follower of Yahweh, the one true God. So when we study these 10 words, we will see how God is calling us to obey them. And out of his heart of love, God is calling us to follow these 10 words. They will be for your blessing and your good. But today, today, this morning, already before before noon, you have broken one, if not more, of these 10 commandments. And every single one of these commandments, as we study them, we're going to see again, yeah, I should live that way and it would be before my blessing, but I don't. And we will be reminded every single week, we're going to preach truly Christian sermons. See, what makes a Christian sermon is in a Christian sermon, Jesus Christ is the hero. You're not the hero. You don't leave here thinking, man, I'm awesome and I've got this this week. You leave here thinking, I'm in desperate need of a Savior and thank God he sent his son, Jesus Christ. In the study of these 10 words, you will see, we will see how God is calling us to obey them and that they're for our blessing and good, but that we've broken them. The good news is that Jesus Christ kept all of the ten words, and he kept them for us. He kept them for those who will turn from their sin and put faith in him. And when we turn from our sin and put faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ gives that record of keeping the 10 words perfectly, and it's given to us, it's imputed to us as actually belonging to us. And so when God looks at those of us who are in Christ Jesus, he sees the perfect righteousness of his son. You might be thinking to yourself, you say that a lot. You say that almost every Sunday. God forbid that I would say it almost every Sunday. I hope that that is the message that's preached every single Sunday. Any opportunity I have to stand before people and do any kind of proclamation of God's word, I want to say this. Jesus is the hero. Jesus is the hero, and you need him. You're going to fail, fail, fail. He's going to succeed, succeed, succeed for you. And so now, because we love him, if you love him, if you, those who love me keep my commandments, because Jesus has secured a spot for me, because Jesus has lived the life that I failed to live and died the death that I deserve to die. Now, as in him, I want to follow. These 10, these ten instructions are for my good, for his glory, and I'm going to, by his grace, do the very best that I can to follow and to obey and to keep the Ten Commands. Brothers and sisters, I invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm going to ask the music team to come on up here. This is just the introduction We're going to dive through all 10 of these over the course of the next 10 weeks. If you're here this morning, though, and you wear the crown in your life, and God, through Jesus Christ, is not the one wearing the crown in your life, then I would call upon you to repent and believe, to repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you have looked at the 10 commandments as just that, 10 arbitrary rules that don't really make a whole lot of sense and just kind of provide inconvenience for you. And I want to say that they that they are regulations and instructions that are given out of a heart of a God of love to you for your good and for your flourishing. And for those who know Christ as their Savior and who love him, you will want to live in a way that is in keeping with these 10 words, with these 10 laws. If you're here this morning and you want to talk with me or one of the other pastors or really anyone about the things we've talked about, we will stick around and we'd love to visit with you more. 
Father, I pray that you would use these words from your word to, to convict us where we sin and to give us great hope and joy and glory. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand. And even as we leave, we've looked at, the, at Jesus. Let's turn our eyes upon Jesus.